What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host, and I can't tell you how good it is to say those words. I haven't said them in a while. And joining me to kick it off and to help me kind of get back in the groove is my man, the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, you've been holding down the fort. You leave town and look what happens. What is going on? Yeah, you're in L.A. Oh. sunning yourself. Actually, you're you're helping out your daughter who's yeah. an actress, and she's doing the L.A. scene right now. I make it sound like she's hanging out with Paris Hilton. I know. But uh, maybe she will someday. You never know. She's been in some short films and things like that. Yeah. So good luck to you and the fam and, Thank you. and your daughter. So that's very cool. But, yeah, some things have been happening here, and I think that – this is uh, sort of a fluid thing going on here, but <laughs> yeah. like I've said many times this week and late last week, they've got a management team in place running football operations, and Cal McNair oversees it all, so he's been here, he's been in the building, they they have it figured out for now, and I say for now only because that's just my take on it, Johnny, I think right. what they're going to do is go with this and take it from there. And I don't know what that really means. Maybe maybe a candidate emerges who they absolutely love, but maybe a candidate doesn't emerge. And I said last night, I don't know if they go through a draft last night, although they have the staff to do it. they got plenty yeah. of guys to handle things, uh, just as many as before virtually, really. Right. So let's just see how it goes. It's a one-day-at-a-time kind of thing. Well, here's, Mark, the, the thing I, I thought a lot about this because I, I heard – uh, Landry Locker and John Lopez talking about this, and they. I want to big, give a big thanks to Sports Radio Six Ten, Arm Williams for sending his crew over there for our Bear Bryant Award, our, our Champions Luncheon. We had oh, Lee Corso, yeah. oh, and so great. it was phenomenal. We had such a great time talking to him, and then, and then Coach jumped on with uh, Landry and, and Lopez. And I was listening driving up there, and I was listening kind of as they were talking uh, in the in the area where we were just listen to, and they were talking about that situation. I think the one thing that, that is hard for people outside the building is when you're talking about, when you're talking about personnel, people, you're talking about director of player pro personnel, director of pro personnel, director of college scouting, scouts, all that kind of stuff. They're sort of like minor leaguers for the most part. Like you don't really know about them. You know if you're if you're an Astros fan. Now there there uh, and I'm not saying all Astros fans. There are some diehards. Yeah, they know everybody at Round that, Rock or right. whatever. They yep. know all that. But for the most part, the fans know about the Astros. They know about the big club. And then when somebody moves up, then they start to find out about them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of people know about Jordan Alvarez and, and that, and he's really kind of lived up to it. But there's some Astros fans. What's this guy all about? I think it's sort of that way for NFL personnel departments. We have a chance of being in this building, so we get to know them. We've gotten a chance to know some of the guys that are kind of being bandied about or what they're going to do with the personnel. And I feel totally confident in that because I and we, know, we know those guys. Yeah. We know what kind of football guys they are. But to the general public, everybody's like, uh, I don't know, it's just a name to me at that yeah. point. But for us, we, because we've seen them, we see what they do. We see how good they are. We've talked to them about football. We've talked to them and realized these are football guys. Yeah. But the general public doesn't know that. But then all of a sudden, you become the GM, and then the spotlight's on you. You get to hear more from them. They get to run a draft. Then fans start to be able to craft their opinions based on that. Brian Gain was like that. I mean, obviously, he was a guy that was not the GM, but he was here for a few years. Then he became the GM. Well, when he was not the GM, nobody really mentioned Brian at all, but then he became the GM, and it was, obviously, you're going to be a talking point. But I think that's the way it is with the personnel department is because we know those guys – 
we're probably more apt to say, yeah, we trust them because we know them yeah. and we know what they can do. The fans are going to be, oh, I'm a little skeptical of this plan. I don't know that guy. That's the same. I mean, think about a draft. Right. If you, if you draft a player like a Titus Howard or you draft a player that people have not heard being mentioned as a candidate for your team, all of a sudden, well, it's a bad draft. Why? Well, I don't know that guy. Well, that's kind of the way this is in some sense when you look at it. Well, you have guys who have the same titles of candidates that they've, well, or one particular candidate right. that was uh, of interest to them. And, yeah, you know, it's Matt Bazergan has the same title as Nick Casario. Uh, people have reported about Matiosa for it. Last time the Texans were searching for a general manager right. when they um, when they hired Brian Gain. And Osa Ford is director of college scouting for the Patriots. Well, they have one here, right? right? They have James Lipford. Yeah, so, very good. You know, you have Both Rob Kissel here, pro personnel. You have Excellent. a lot of guys here who have been a lot, around for – some of them have been around for a long time. And speaking of Osafort, by the way, it's funny because Drew Doherty and I were looking for old an old photo of something. <laughs> yeah. Did you see this? I did. And we were looking at I old did. thumbnails, and Osafort was on this staff right. you know, a long time ago, about 15 years ago, but he was here in this building. So it's just funny to see how football is and, and people come and go. But there is a big staff, over 20 people here working in football operations. So, yeah. And believe me, construction's going uh, taking place here, building – or upgrading facilities. They did a ton last year. They're continue, continuing to do a lot. Cal McNair's behind it all. Uh, obviously, with Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby, everybody involved as well. So it's it's fun to see it all take shape. And I know that a lot of people want definitive information, and you might not get that right away, but uh, be patient. There will be a season. There will be a team. <laughs> there is a team, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, that's the thing. And, and Drew and I talked about this on, on Any Lab. You've talked about this. We've talked about this. No matter what's going on, number four is going to be here. Mm-hmm. 99's here. 10's here. Yep. That's a pretty darn good start. You hope that you get 90 in the building again. That's a pretty good start. You're not. You're not bringing. You're not bringing. Uh, you know, plastic silverware to a. You know, to you know, fine dining, if yeah. you will, which I'm okay with if you need to. But you're not bringing plastic silverware. You know, you're not. You're not, no offense to Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, or Ryan Fitzpatrick, you're not, you're not bringing any of those guys. You have one of the best teams you've ever had. You just won 11 games, second most in franchise right. history. It's a different schedule, but you. what did we say in 2012? What did we say? We're The, the Texans were coming off 2011, yep. and the thinking was, well, that was a really fun season. Unfortunately, the quarterback got hurt, but you still won 10 games. This 2012 season, though, all right, you get the quarterback back, but the schedule is brutal. Yeah. People said that. You were facing Aaron Rodgers. You were facing Tom That's Brady right. and Joe Flacco, who was really hot at the time. In fact, the Ravens won the Super Bowl yeah, that, that year. year. Yeah. You had a lot of tough outs on that schedule, and you went 12-4. and four. So, And Andrew Luck was way better in his rookie year than anybody could have imagined, right? Yep. So. And so the schedule is even tougher than you thought, and you still won 12 games in that environment. And I'm not saying it's apples to apples, but sometimes you say, oh, the schedule's going to be brutal. Just let it play out, okay? Let's take the team into the schedule, see what happens. You've got the coaching staff. You've got all the players you mentioned. Let's go. If you were going – if the draft was next month and you were in this situation, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah. Okay, you had somebody who was in charge of evaluations, but – 
I say in charge, they've always done things in a collaborative, collective sort of way. So uh, you're a long way from that process. This would be like, you know, I could understand people freaking out if the scouts don't hit the road to take in all the college games and get the information on the college circuit. They're going to do that. They've got the people in place to do that. So, And I'm sure we'll have some definition or more definition before we get to that point, I would think. So let's just see what happens. I'm with you on that. The the process, and you may have said this, the train doesn't stop rolling. And I think that's a, that's a big one to note because you're thinking about GM, you're thinking about that process. The the scouts going on the road, they'll go on the road in July, late, yeah. late July. They're, they're not going to not go. Yeah. They're going to go. Drew made the point yesterday, most of them or many of them don't even live here. Right. They live in their parts of the country yeah. where they scout. Yeah, where, where they're in charge of a particular area. So and they come back they from live. time to time to uh, – give the information and have discussions about what they found. They'll be here for the first few days of training camp and then they go off. And then they're just they're just beating the bushes looking for players and they've they've already had a I don't know the right way of saying this. It's like a scouting convention basically. And I remember seeing it on the uh, New York Giants did like a six-part I think it may have been NFL Network. NFL Network did a I think they call it Building the Giants. And it was the year that they drafted Odell Beckham Jr. Right. And they followed the, the area scouts. They did interviews with the area scouts and all different you know trips. And to kick off the scouting season, they uh, would get all the NFL teams together and maybe it was a representative or two from each team and they would get in a room and they would go through the potential prospects, the senior prospects, and they would be presented like all these, you know, here, here are all the prospects. And so you kind of, it kind of gives the scouts a, a starting point, so to speak. And they've gone through that process. They'll continue to go through it. That process isn't going to slow down. I think that is probably the one thing that stood out. Uh, on when I, when I got the news on Friday, I remember thinking, okay, this is how I know people are reacting right now back in Houston. Like, I know this is how people are reacting. There's a bit of panic, like, oh, my gosh, this guy, Nick Casario, was a guy, and the sports radio is telling us this is the guy we should love, and you know, he's a Patriots guy, and he's a smart guy, and all this kind of – he's really good. And then I – when I saw the statement come from Cal, I knew how people were going to react. And my first thought was, nothing's going to slow down. Nothing. Mm. Now, I'm not going to say nothing's going to change or that nothing will change because things are going to change. I mean, that's obviously inevitable. In this but situation. the show must go on. But it's the, the things that you have to do, the nuts and bolts, going and visiting mm-hmm. players, going and visiting universities, all those things are going to continue. Extensions are going to be signed by some players in the building already, potentially uh, you know, guys that were drafted in 15 or 16. Those extensions are going to be signed yet again because, you know, Chris Olsen's still here, one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league, at contract management, if you will. He's unbelievable at that. So those things aren't going to stop. They're not going to get in the way. Is having a GM important? Absolutely. But this is a situation where if you don't have one, then you've got people that can do the things that are needed to keep the train going because the last thing you want to do, especially in this division with the Titans having a good draft with the Colts where they are, you don't want to fall behind. And I don't think you will at this particular moment. You've got to continue to do good football things and make good football decisions. I said this, there was an interview. I can't remember where I did this interview. I was talking about uh, something that you mentioned, Mark, and that was the, the, the shared approach. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that everybody's got to be on the same page, but everybody has the opportunity to share this is what I think is a player's assets are. This is what I think his liabilities are. Let's come to agreement. How do we feel about this guy? Yes, 
somebody's got to be in charge of sending the card in, and that was Rick, and then it was Brian, and somebody's going to be in charge of that when it comes to the draft, all that kind of stuff. But to me, in this organization, there have been two people that that particular individual makes the decision. That's what it's. That's what you're going with, and that's Bob McNair and Cal McNair. Boom, done, and those are the two people that have made those decisions when they need to make them. They're the only ones. Other than that, it is a shared collaborative effort, and that will not change. They're the tiebreakers, right? Yep. They break the ties. All ties. Where, because Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien, Rick Smith and Gary Kubiak, they both reported to Bob McNair. Right. Charlie Casserly, Dom Capers, both reported to Bob McNair. That's how the structure has always been here. Right. Now, it's going to be a little bit different now, but still Cal McNair is at the top to break ties, to settle things, to go over what needs to be gone over. And he's in the building a lot, like I said. So he's evaluating. Hey, look, we said that they went through an evaluation. They decided they needed better performance at the general manager spot. Okay, got it. But I think I used the word yesterday, processing. They're, they're in a process yeah. of continuing to go over this stuff, but they feel like they've got a good team in place so yeah. we'll go from there now will they say something more official on it look when they do if they do we'll oh, be it's right coming here down it on friday yeah. it's coming down on friday oh yeah if it's gonna happen <laughs> if it's gonna happen it's going to happen at 5 55 we will be on the air it's gonna happen live on friday we'll have a completely different show planned but you know what we can shift gears no problem mark Done. i got on a plane and they they tell you go to airplane mode uh-huh. Uh, all right, go to airplane mode. I mean, it's funny because we joke in some sense about millennials or Gen Zers or whatever A lot of people don't go to airplane mode. I, I know. I probably shouldn't have. But I did. I went uh-huh. to airplane mode. And, I, you know, people always joke about not having that access for Gen Zers and millennials. Right. I think people of my age group, maybe older, our, our age group, they're the ones that have the hardest time dealing with it. Like, I was... I was trying to not look at my phone, trying to, like, I was just playing a game. Oh, on, like, I have no problem going to airplane mode, Johnny. I love going to airplane oh. mode because I know I'm going to get two or three I, hours of uninterrupted reading or whatever I decide to do. But you get do. FOMO. I was, I was I, having FOMO. I knew something yeah. was going to happen. I just knew. I just, well, something that, told me. And then when we la- we landed, and uh, my phone just went, I'm like, what just happened? So now I'm trying to explain to my daughter what's going on. And so basically – we we had to go from LAX to a town called Palmdale for her to take a, a basically a high school equivalency test in that to, state to help yeah in that state to kind of help her with some of her acting roles. Mm-hmm. So she's still going to do her senior year, but she had to take this test and wanted to take it because it would kind of open up some opportunities did she pass? potentially. We won't know. It's it's like the GRE well, SAT. How does she think she did? She thought she did right. She thought she did okay. The math was tricky. So I'm glad no one ran that opportunity by me my junior year when I, I got done with it I would have been like I'm out of here yeah, I know done she, she still was going to do her senior year until graduate but uh-huh. she wanted to do this because it might open up some roles so we had two and a half hours to drive and I mean we're just bumper to bumper basically it's a it's about an hour and 10 minute drive but it took it's us California. two and a half hours yeah it's California so we were right at 405 and so I'm trying to explain to her as I'm kind of in traffic I'm learning more and more about this and I'm just trying <laughs> to explain to her and she's like okay well what does that mean and I'm like I don't know, baby. <laughs> it's like trying to explain what's going that's on. A, that's Here's a complicated story. It really the tampering was. Tampering charges dropped, and the Texans I, exactly. didn't know about the contract clause, and apparently nobody did. And I got to exactly. tell you this: one little side note on that. Even when I do a contract with somebody, it's got to go through our general counsel here, and they send it to the league. The league gets a lot of contracts. Right. I, I don't. I don't know this for a fact, but I don't think there are too many contracts you can enter to with in, into with almost anybody as a club yeah. without running it through the league. They want to know what you're doing. So it's pretty interesting that way. I don't want to say 
<laughs> I, there's, there's a lot I want to say on you that. You don't want to comment. Something's, I just, know. Well, something's just I said the off. other day, I said, team show, uh, I don't want to talk about that too many more times. Okay, good. That's fine. Like mentioning names of potential future candidates. Don't want to do that. Here's the thing. I said this during the draft. I said mm-hmm. this to everybody I talked to about the draft in particular. Mm-hmm. Nothing surprises me. Yeah, that's good. Nothing. Like nothing that. surprises me. I might go, whoa, okay, I didn't see that coming. But nothing surprises me. As soon as I saw the information, I was kind of like, Nothing should surprise yeah. you on or off the field in this league. No. You know, people talk to me all it the should. time. I say, well, what about the Rams? Do they surprise you? Well, Sean McVay. I'm like, really? When Sean McVay got hired, you thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl in two years? Yeah. You really did? Did you now? You know, Take what, it over for Jeff Fisher. You thought that McVay was going to take them to the Super Bowl. You know what I say to people when they say, does anything surprise you? like, not after OJ. <laughs> I mean, I mean that seriously because OJ was thought to be this larger-than-life yeah. figure. I was like, <laughs> Not after OJ. And by the way, I was in L.A. on the 25th anniversary tweeted. on Monday. Oh, uh, The 25th anniversary of the Bronco okay. chase. And so you saw you tweeted a Bronco. I'm I know I tweeted down. Bronco. I, I joked that at the rental counter that they wanted to give me that car. And I looked down and saw it June 17th Thomas. on my itinerary. I was like, no, 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 give me the Kia Soul. I'll be all right. <laughs> I don't want to be in the white Bronco. Mark, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, John. Coming up next, little JT, Jordan Thomas. It's into why his nickname is Big Baby. To the right. He had trouble with it at now first, but nah, he's coming side. around on it. We'll talk to Jordan Thomas next right here in Watson Texas, Texas. Back across his body. It's Jordan Thomas for another touchdown. The Wizard, Watson, does it again. Yes, he did, but it was the guy that he found for both of those touchdowns. Jordan Thomas has a lot of people intrigued about 2019. Welcome back to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John, and I am really excited to be back talking to you about the Texans. Been away for a few days. Uh, in those three days, I don't shine shoes no more, as Joe, as Joe Pesci was told. And Goodfellas, hey, you don't shine shoes no more. Go get your shine box. Yeah, I, wa- I, I watched that piece of Goodfellas probably about a week ago, and I, I just couldn't get that out of my head. Go get your shine box. It's one of the greatest moments in movie history. I love it. Absolutely love it. And, of course, Joe Pesci uh, kind of – uh, went off the deep end, I guess, if you will, on that one. So either way, uh, I just love that. But either way, been away, and so I haven't had a chance to talk too much about what's going on, but glad that we can do that tonight on this Wednesday night. Los Angeles uh, was good, but I love being back here in Houston and talking about my team, the Texans. Now, you heard those two clips. That was in the Miami game. Those were the first two touchdowns of Jordan Thomas's career. He accounted for four of them topping all the tight ends. In fact, no other tight end had a touchdown catch last year, but Jordan had four of them. How many will they have this year? Eh, who's to say? We'll talk a little bit more about the tight ends, but let's hear from Big Baby himself who goes into that nickname with our own Drew Doherty. Where did it come from? What does it mean? Will it stick? Talk to Jordan Thomas right now. Please explain for the final time the Big Baby nickname. The Big Baby nickname, I got it when I entered junior college, actually. Miss Danielle Brock was a teacher of mine. She, uh, I entered junior college at the age of 17, but I was the biggest one on the team. So, yeah, I was the biggest and the youngest. So, gave me, she gave me that nickname when I entered class and found out how old I was. And ever since then, me and her grew a bond. So, actually, that, that's like another mother to me, actually. What's this offseason been like for you? This offseason has been awesome. Um, this is my first offseason, so 
I'm still kind of a rookie to the off season, so I'm still learning, going, going through stuff. It's actually been good. I've been here the half, most of the off season. I went home for like two, three weeks, so it's been good. When the season ended, what was the uh, the main point that you had to improve upon? Just being dependable, because I know what I could do, and he knows what I could do. So it's like just bringing that out of me, you know, just being dependable, being consistent, just being a guy to depend on. You said you know what you can do and he knows what you can do. When did you know that? Did you always know that? Was there a time last season where you figured it out? Last season, it was it was up and downs, you know, because I was still learning. I always knew what I could do, but I just have to get comfortable. I'm getting to where, you know, I'm feeling things out and I'm, I'm feeling like I, I, I know what I'm doing. Now, we know you can catch. We've also seen some of the videos of you blocking. You knocked Von Miller off his feet. There's a touchdown run later in the season where you just came in and sealed off the edge. How much pride do you take in how you block? I take a lot of pride in it, especially when it's a bigger guy and a bigger name. You know, I just want to show that I could, I could do that. Taking pride in that, it gives me excitement when Lamar ran for that 97-yard touchdown knowing I had a, a part in that. So letting the running backs, it's like I'm scoring. How challenging was that for you? Because you played wide receiver at Mississippi State. and then It wasn't that challenging, you know. Actually, I played tight end in junior college. So in junior college and high school, I was just throwing people around, you know, because I was bigger than everybody. Then I went to Mississippi State. It was like, whoa, these guys are just as big as me. I had to hit the weights a little bit more. So... Then I got here, but I, I, I take on any challenge, you know. I hit it straight on, so I, I, it's not that challenging, you know. It's just stuff I, I need to clean up with my blocking, so, and I'm working on that now. One of the things that we all like to do, I guess, as media members, we're looking for talking points and all those things about breakout players. I, I'll get asked that. I guarantee I'll get asked that. Sometime during training camp, breakout players. Now, sometimes how – different hosts or writers or whomever asking the question thinks about a breakout player. I remember one year, I think it was maybe in year two, and somebody's like, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be a breakout player. I'm like, Hop's going to be a breakout player? Oh, oh, I know what it was. It was Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks was talking about DeAndre Hopkins and saying, yeah, you look at a breakout in 2015. I was like, last year he had almost 80 catches and over 1,000 yards, and he had one of the greatest catches that didn't count ever before Odell Beckham Jr. did it. Like, he's going to break out? No, he's the guy. He's the man. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. But if you were looking for a breakout unknown, you'll hear somebody say, Jordan Thomas of the Texans. I'll be the first because I I do think that Big Baby, I love that story behind his nickname, Big Baby. I'm I'm glad because it just personifies him. I mean, he really is just a young, big dude that can do so many different things on a football field. So I think young ba- uh, Big Baby, Young Baby would have been good too. Big Baby is, is perfect. But if you're looking for that breakout player, I think Thomas is a, is a perfect guy to put in that mix. First of all, his offseason, watching him catch passes, there just is really not a defense for a guy 6'5", 6'6", 275 pounds, and that runs as well as he does that played wide receiver at Mississippi State, which he'll be quick to tell you, yeah, I played Mississippi State wide receiver. I played a lot of tight end before that in Juco, et cetera. So the transition over to tight end wasn't as severe as maybe you thought it was going to be. But he is a potential candidate to to break out, if you will, have more than four touchdowns, be a guy that catches 40 passes. To me, the the pass reception distribution is going to be really 
interesting in 2019. You know Hop's going to get his. If Fuller stays healthy, then he's going to get his too. But Will's never been a huge target targeted wide receiver from uh, from a number standpoint. Now the Tennessee game week two last year he did, and the the Miami game he he was as well. But Hop's always been that targeted guy. Now maybe Will, if he stays healthy, ends up seeing more and more targets, which I would I wouldn't be opposed to at all. Kiki is a high-volume target guy. So the Texans are going to want to run the ball too. So you know that Deontay Foreman and Lamar Miller are going to get a bunch of carries. So how many more receptions are there to go around for the tight ends? That, if anything, is the one where I go, hmm. So I don't see Jordan catching 60 passes this year. I don't see him even getting to CJ's number, CJ Fedorovic's number back in 2016. But I do think that Jordan Thomas could put together 35 to 40. Five, six touchdowns. I think Jordan Akins is going to be able to see a number of targets this year. If he gets targeted, look, if he gets targeted three to four times a game, Jordan Thomas, Jordan Akins three to four times a game, like I could see that in certain situations. I could see times where it's five to seven. But if you have combined amongst those two, the two Jordans, as we say, if you're looking at a, could you get to 80 catches total? 70 to 80 catches total amongst your tight ends? Five, six touchdowns total? That's got to be a good year for the tight ends, no? I, I think it could be. But I think Jordan Thomas, people are going to say he's a breakout player, and there's no reason for him not to be that guy in 2019. And totally and completely looking forward to what he can do in this particular season. So he's always good on the mic, so it's good to catch up with JT, big babe, Jordan Thomas. All right, Drew Doherty and I will go in the lab next. And it's time for one of my favorite in the lab topics, what if. One of my favorites. We'll do it next right here at Texans All Access. One final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter. Glad to be back from the left coast to be able to get back on radio. It's been two straight Fridays of crazy news breaking. This one being in California was sort of weird. I don't know whether I want news to break on Friday or no, but it just seems like that's the day when everything's happening. I don't know, but if we got to, if it happens, it happens and we'll handle it. There's no doubt about that. Now, Drew Doherty and I, each and every week, we have not, even though I was out, we did not, we, we were off a day. We did our In the Lab podcast today and that has been, that's been up there so check out your In the Lab podcast. Deep Studio also put up the Deep Slant podcast. You talked to uh, our our equipment guru, Mike Parson, who is one of the best. Mike is just, I mean, he's the best equipment guy in the league, but he's just one of the best dudes I know. He is so, he's awesome. So go check that out on Deep Slant Podcast. Really, really cool stuff. But Drew and I this week, kind of racking our, you know, there's so much been going on. We're like, you know, let's just kind of step outside the box a little bit and, well, let's have some fun. One of the things that I used to do with my national overnight radio show was I, I did Ultimate Eleven, and for people that listen, they know I would put out a topic. I would say, "Okay, here's your topic," and then people would just send it to me, and then I would rank the eleven best that I got, and so that's what it kind of evolved into. And so one night, I was trying to figure it out, and I was like, "You know, I get this question a lot. What if? What if Michael Jordan didn't make the shot against the Jazz? What if Michael Jordan didn't?" Go play baseball for two years. What if the Rockets played Michael Jordan and the Bulls? What if 
Dickie Thon hadn't taken a fastball to the eye, unfortunately? What if Jeff Bagwell hadn't been traded to the Astros? Like, all those different things. And so, because it was a national show, I ended up getting... I got suggestions and all these from all over the place, and they were, it, was, it was fun. And I and I would do that pretty often. I, I loved it because I just like to see what people came up with. What if OJ? Did, well, okay, I'm not getting into that. Uh, it was weird to be out there for his 25th anniversary, though. I tried to drive the same path that he went, but I was like, no, that's just, that's too much. And then I was gonna go try and find the ha- his house, but apparently it was torn down. It was torn out a while ago, so I was like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. I was gonna hang out with my daughter off a good time. Either way. I decided to come up with some what-ifs for the Houston Texans for our good friend Drew Doherty. And the first one involves the sheriff. What if the Texans had actually signed Peyton Manning in 2012? You win a Super Bowl. Not necessarily that year, but probably the next year or the year after. You win a Super Bowl. It's pretty interesting to think about. That year, the year after, because the year after in 2013, 2 and 14. Yeah. Because Matt had had a precipitous drop off. but and, you, he, and he really hit a stride in comparison to Peyton right, Manning right, in 13. Right, exactly. Where you thought Peyton was going to fall off, all of a sudden he goes to a different level. Uh huh. So you say the Texans would have won a Super Bowl in yes, 2012. Yes, I do. I think in union with the defense and what yeah. it was. Yeah, I do. What do you think? I th- I thought that for years. I thought they could have won one of those. It was not 2012. I thought 2012 was probably the better shot. But you bring up a great point in 2013. I think 2013 was a matter of circumstance. And the circumstance being that Matt just uh-huh. just fell off the face of the earth. So from that, that particular moment, it was like. And that defense was kind of starting to click. Cushing was kind of looking okay. And I I mean, if you're if you're playing the way you think you could play with Peyton Manning, you're probably not in that sort of situation. He probably doesn't get his knee wrecked. It's all ifs, buts, candy nuts. Merry Christmas. Right. But he 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 doesn't get his knee wrecked against. Can- you're probably what four and one, four and two at that point. So it's just a different situation. But yeah, I think I think he won a Super Bowl with Peyton. Okay. Manning. What if? Now, before I ask this one, there. But 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 wait, backtrack. Okay. Jay Moore actually made this point on Radio Row, and it was a good point at the time. He said, like, before Peyton Manning even signed with the Broncos, he said, the guy's not allowed to ride a roller coaster because of his neck. Right. Why would you sign him to a deal? And I, th- I was kind of of the same mind. I was, I was kind of the same mind, too. I thought, no. he, was, I thought he was done. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was done. Okay, heading into the 2011 draft, mm-hmm. I should say this. There was an article a couple years ago. That was a oral history of the 2011 draft. Uh-huh. The 2011 draft was an unbelievable draft. Stars fell. On the and former GM Rick Smith was interviewed for that, and he said that his plan and thought going into the NFL draft was that he would have traded up and had a trade in the works for Patrick Peterson. Yes. So what if in the 2011 draft – Instead of drafting J.J. Watt, the Texans traded for Patrick Peterson. Your secondary is better, but I don't. Because if you draft Patrick Peterson, do you sign Jonathan Joseph and Danielle Manning? Right. Good point. And if you draft Patrick Peterson, are you 
So does that mean you're pairing him with Kareem Jackson at corner or Kareem, Kareem Jackson and Glover Quinn at corner? Because remember, Glover Quinn was a corner. Right, right. Didn't get moved to safety until you signed J. Joe. And Daniel Manning, yeah. So your, your secondary is better, but I don't know how much better your defense is without the game record that is J.J. Watt. I, I just I, I don't know. Now, going into that draft, February – Late January of 2011. 2011, Von Miller. That was the guy that won. Yeah. But he played er, senior bowl and all the measurables and stuff. It he just he went, went into a different stratosphere and wound up being picked second overall. Alden Smith was the guy they were really after, but he went, what, fifth to the Niners? Seventh. Seventh to he the Niners, seventh, yeah. yeah. And, and Peterson, then, I think, was sixth, maybe? Yeah. I think Peterson was sixth, and then Smith went seventh. And it was like, I remember that happening, and I remember hearing at the time that those were two guys that they were – and when Alden Smith went off the board at seven, I was like, man, what are they going to do? But they knew it was a good draft, and they were right. happy when they got Watt, but he was not, surprisingly, he was not that number one right. top of their board. But I do remember in the in the press conference when he came to town that I remember next day, that I was there. Wade Phillips was up at the podium with him because back then the Texans draft pick would speak to the media and the coordinator on whatever side of the ball would, would be up there with him. And Wade lifted up J.J.'s I- hand and was like, Look at this guy's hand, biggest hand in the draft. And then he also talked about JJ and the I think the three cone drill or the shuttle, some shuttle drill that he just destroyed and was amazing at. So yeah, you know, you know how I am at pressers. Like I don't, I don't ask questions. Like I I sit, I listen, I take it all in. A lot of times because we get those guys in studio, so I don't want to use up any questions. And I, I just, you you don't ask any questions. I, I don't ask any questions. I have questions. I just I don't. Know. <laughs> but I save them because, you, like, like you get you get a lot of the the high profile figures around here in TV interviews. So I save those questions because we're going to get Coach O'Brien. We're going to get players yeah. in here. So I save the questions. But back then I didn't, and I'll never forget when he put his hand up and he started talking about three cone time. I was like, okay, that's all well and good. Now, keep in mind, my dad was the biggest JJ Watt fan in the world. Because he's from Wisconsin, loved Watt. All his buddies back in Wisconsin were telling him about J.J. Watt, even before J.J. had gotten to Wisconsin, had told him about J.J., that they had heard of him and all that, even though he had gone to Central Michigan. They were like, hey, keep an eye on his Watt kid. You know, so my dad my dad was a huge fan. And so kind of through him, I was a J.J. fan before he even you know, got here. So I was really excited when we drafted him. I was, I'll, I'll never forget, I went on radio and and, uh, and they asked me, I remember Lance was doing it at the time. He said, well, what about Watt? I said, look, I think this. I think Watt's a heck of a player. I just don't know how they're going to use him. I don't know how they're going to play them in this defense that they already have, Mario Williams. And Antonio Smith. I said, but I love him as a player. I just don't know how they're going to put all this together. But I asked the question when he put his hands up and he did all that. I, I asked the question. I said, I said, but wait, how are you going to use him? Like that to me is the most important thing. Like, yeah, I understand he's got big hands and all that. And I'll just never, I'll never forget JJ kind of staring at me like he's new to town. I just remember him kind of staring at me, and I was like, "Bro, I'm in your corner, man. You, like <laughs> more than you know, I want him to tell everybody like what kind of player you are. Not that you got big hands and you do the the L cone, you three cone great. I want him to tell us like how they're going to use you, like what's the best fit for you, because that's what that's what at the time was was really the question. So, um, yeah, because they moved, they slid Mario out to outside linebacker. No, look, Patrick Peterson's one heck of a player. Uh, also, with J.J., I think there's an idea out there because of he's such a good guy and, and all that stuff that there's this idea 
by some, not a, not everyone, but by some that he's one of those work hard, lunch pail guys, and high energy, and he does. He is. Yeah, yeah, he has that high motor, all that stuff. But bringing up that three cone, bringing up the hand mm-hmm. size, he is an amazing athlete as well. He's a jungle cat. I mean, just a great, great athlete. I mean, it's a combination of being that great athlete, right. being ha- having the high motor. You know, doing the study and all that stuff, he, he's he's the perfect embodiment. Now, you're, you're right. I think that's the one thing that gets lost. He's an amazing athlete. There's no question. And I know a lot of that went back to, like, 14 and 15 was doing the box jumps and 61 is box jumps or whatever it was. And people were like, oh, look, what's he doing? He is – He even to this day, he is – after the two years that he had to deal with significant injuries, he's an unbelievable athlete. Yeah. At his size – I mean, you were saying the other day at the press conference, he was 290 pounds. I'm like – what he can do at 290 pounds is just, it's amazing. Okay. It's like a tiger. What if in the 2017 draft, Patrick Mahomes is not traded for at number 10? Both Mahomes and Watson are on the board at number 12. And the Texans decide to draft Patrick Mahomes over Deshaun Watson. What if Mahomes is your quarterback over Watson? I think. I think you'd see a lot of the same type of results. I think, I think you'd be in really good hands as well. You know, I, I think the Texans liked him a lot, but uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be. I think I can't wait to see what the next decade holds with these two. I think you're going to see a lot of shootouts between these two teams. I think that could be part of it's fun, part of it's nerve wracking. Yeah, I, I mean, three of the most incredible days I've spent on the sideline for games have been New England, Seattle, and Philadelphia. I just want to win one of those. Want to win one of those shootouts, yeah, no but kidding. watching, watching him pull every arrow out of his bag like Katniss from uh, whatever that movie was called. Uh, what was Top, that movie? Top Gun? No. Uh, what was that movie called? Morning Jay? I don't know. Hunger Games. That's it. Hunger oh. Games. Oh, yeah. We saw Katniss's uh, wax figure at the wax museum, and so I couldn't think of it. But she's pulling out the arrows. <laughs> oh, Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, okay. that's number four. But but I think you're right. I don't I don't know that much. Would be different, to be honest. I think I think much would be the same. I had these two rated very close to the other. The the tough part would be what if the Texans had drafted Mitchell Trubisky over Watson? I don't think we'd be in the same position. Yeah, I wouldn't. No, bad. I don't think we'd be in the same position. Yeah, that that would be one I would I would like. I'm so bullish on on Watson, man. I like Brian Gain was not going to play quarterback this year. Nick Casario was not going to play quarterback this year. Yeah. Bill O'Brien not going to play quarterback this year. That's why I'm so optimistic about what's going on here. Despite all the stuff going going on extraneously, that's going to get figured out. On the field, got the pieces in place, I think. Yeah, I agree. This The 90-man roster's set. There will be a tweak here or there because there will be injuries and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I haven't spoken on this because I, I, I have been out of town, but it's not as if things are going to crumble. No. Listen, has and have people out there ever known what the actual power, complete power structure was with the Texans? No. And it's by design. It's an organ. There are organizational decisions to be made. But we need to know. No, you don't. There's you didn't a, know before, so you don't need to know now. There's a lot of smart, capable folks that are underneath the level of GM no that are that are st- still here. Still doing what they Still normally doing the do. Same work. And yeah, Texans are in good I, hands. I, I'm losing probably zero point zero percent sleep over this, to be honest. 
I know. Listen, I, I'm well aware of the talking point that it has become and that yeah, it is. Understandably, like, I get so. it. Yeah, so yeah. You're talking about a GM job. It's a big deal from that perspective. It's a GM job. It, it, yeah, but we're not a, we're not two weeks away from the draft. No. So I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not completely, you know, losing sleep too much uh, on that. Uh, okay. What if the Texans had the number two pick in the 2003 NFL draft? In parentheses, do you think they would have taken Charlie Rogers over Andre Johnson? Mm. So, what do you think, people? I know what people are going to say. No, they were going to take Andre Johnson regardless. But I'll remind you, Charlie Rogers put up some pretty sick numbers in 2002. He was the the talk of the college football world. I mean, he made a catch against Notre Dame in the Michigan State-Notre Dame game that was just ridiculous. Now, Andre did not put up tremendous numbers. Numbers. Now, this was really before the passing game evolved in college football. Charlie Rogers put up, in 2002, 68 catches, 1,351 yards, and 13 touchdowns. And in 2001, he had 67 receptions, 1,470 touch, uh, yards, 14 touchdowns. So, that was in college. He put together, in 24 games, 135 catches, 2,821 yards, and 27 touchdowns. He was absolutely legit. 6'3", 202. Now, Andre didn't put up those kind of numbers because in Miami, they were, they were sharing a ball. They had to. They had, I mean, they had studs. Contrast, Dre's 2002 year, he had 52 catches, 1,092 yards, and nine touchdowns. So, Dre didn't have quite the numbers that Charlie Rogers did. The year before, he only had 37 t- uh, receptions, but 10 of those were touchdowns. But people knew full well about Andre Johnson. What would it have been? And I'm sure there's a story there. Thank God we didn't have to get into it. Because the Lions picked Charlie Rogers at two, the Texans took Andre Johnson at three, and the rest, as they say, is history. But I love the what-ifs on the end of lap, so appreciate Drew for stopping by to give some of that. Also to his interview with big baby Jordan Thomas. And, of course, big thanks to Mark for manning the fort the last few days and for joining me in the first segment to kind of recap those days and kind of get everybody back up to speed if you were out in L.A., sort of like me. Appreciate you guys so very much. Glad to be home. We'll see you tomorrow, and as always, go Texans.